You deserve it. Come on, just tell him you deserve it, Jesus. You deserve it all. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We make you the center of our screens of vision. Jesus, we love you. We want you to be central to this day. Lord, we ask, Father, that your very presence, Lord, as you promised in your word, that if you found sons and daughters who'd separated themselves from this world, you would come and walk amongst us. Father, we pray this very center, this room, everything about this place. Father, would you come and walk amongst us and let your presence overshadow us and let heaven come here today. We ask you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Fee. She's good, isn't she? Do you know her? <clears throat> ah. Hi, good morning. You look very sunny and radiant and awake. <laughs> Thank you. Who said that? <laughs> and the bagels are good. Do you do this every Saturday? It's outrageous, isn't it? Should. Huh? Should. <laughs> Is there any, who wasn't here last night? It's not a kind of shaming thing. I just wanted to know who wasn't here last night. I wasn't. Who wasn't here last night? Just so I know. Okay. Bless you guys. It's lovely to have you. Okay. Um, again, I want to thank Dan and Fee for uh, just making us so welcome. And um, it's interesting, isn't it? When you get a beautiful place like this, and you know there are streams running down on my left, but it's not just beauty that makes a place refreshing. And when Sue and I came in last night, we were a little bit tired, and um, I just felt incredibly refreshed in being in this place, as though it's His presence in the end that makes things, you know, different, isn't it? And Dan, I, I, I just want to say it, this place is a true, true retreat center because of the level of refreshing people are going to receive here. It's been in your dream, Dan. It's been in your spirit. It's been in your heart that many would come and find the very refreshment of heaven as well as the natural refreshment, but they will find heaven will touch them. And like we walked in last night, the level of... Oh, I've come home. It's going to be a hallmark here. It really is. So grateful for that. Just share what you have. So I want to commend Dan especially because um, behind the scenes he's worked tirelessly and the vision that's in his heart has now come about. And um, I just want, to, want us to commend you for, you know, it's not enough just to have vision. Um, well, I, th I think that too is very significant, but it's not enough to have vision. You've got to have endurance to fulfill the vision. And there have been many, many obstacles that he has had to personally fight. Um, and, and I feel it's very significant that we're all here. I was woken in the night, at least I don't know whether I was woken, but I was awake in the night. And my mind ran to that famous passage in Malachi about the restoration of fathers to children and children to fathers. 
And I know that Paul is primarily talking about our personal relationship with the Father, but that has a dribble-down effect. We are living right now in the most fatherless generation ever. In 1952, the statistics were that 4% of children born out of wedlock, 4% in this nation. Do you know what the figure is right now? At least from three years ago, 61%. It's astounding. Now, Jesus said that mothers and fathers would be separated from children about the conflict of the kingdom. But Malachi promises that there's a forerunner generation coming, moving in the power of John the Baptist and Elijah, that will restore family. And I think it's ever so significant that we are a forerunner of the forerunners. This is the first conference here. Now, pat yourself on the back, because this is quite significant that you're part of the very first forerunner, forerunners. <laughs> because we believe uh, that people will come from all nations here and will go to all nations from here. So I think we're living in a very special moment. And I think that the fact that we're taking the subject of fatherhood is the most prophetic. I mean, of the last generation that comes before Jesus to prepare his way for his second coming, I think the most, not the only, but the most prophetic, restorative characteristic will be fatherhood. That he will be the father of all the families of the earth. And I, I just want to, I just want to encourage us to take hold of that deep in our heart. I mean, we're in our ninth decade, but our grandchildren and our great grandchildren are the ones right now we're preparing a way for. And uh, I may not see it, but I'm going to see it. And. I don't know where you gone, where your boy's gone, right, Grace? But your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. <laughs> so I want us to just stand and pray together, and I want to uh, I want to ask you to release faith for every person over the generations who will come to this place, this room, this property, this house, this territory. That this will be not only a place of refreshment, but a place of prophetic declaration that changes nations. So, Father, here we are. Thank you for the privilege of drawing us together. We had no idea. This is the first of the forerunners of the forerunners to come. And Lord, we see faces from different nations coming into this very room in the future. Being touched by presence, being changed by being confronted, by being sent and commissioned, by being broken and lifted. And we thank you for the privilege of being the first little group.
But we ask you, God, raise up fathers. More fathers, we ask. That the resources, the vision, the provision for all that's in your heart to do in this place. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, workers, administrators, little ones, big ones, old ones, young ones, married singles. Oh God, bring this generation to prophesy and prepare for your great day, Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Mike, so much. Ah. Well, that's the message. It's done. We can go home. It's cool. Serious. It's like, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I hope you hear this right, but one of our sons isn't currently walking with the Lord. And um, that's been painful, but a really good journey for me because it's enlarged my heart to embrace him where he is rather than wish he was different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's been a whole journey to get close to him again after a very stormy time. And we have. Um, and... I come from a very orphan background in my view. Now I look at it in the perspective, which I'll come back to later on today. But I come from a very orphan background in my heart condition. And on Father's Day this year, and I'm, I'm saying this to commend what God can do, not what I did. But on Father's Day this year, he wrote the most extraordinary card to me. And in the card, he said this. He said, I can't understand how you've been the father you have to me when I realized what you never had yourself Mm. now it's not a commending please hear it you understand the miracle which i want to declare to you is if god can change my orphaned heart so that he gets what dan talked about last night a reflection of my heavenly father's heart i wished i could tell him hey son it's not me let me tell you what god but at least he could see and he'll see, others will see it in you, the transformation, however orphaned you were, however far away you felt. When you just say, yes, Father, bring me home, things happen that are so transformative that others start to say, I don't understand how you're like that when I realize the background you came from. Does that make sense? So anyway, that's just a, uh, honestly, it's just amazing how God can do that. So, um, we're going to kind of go for it today. I feel like I don't know where we're going because I've got so much going on inside. I don't know which way to turn, but we just trust. If I could say it again, what I said last night, please hear me. It's not clever preaching. Well, it isn't, but it isn't. It's the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit personally moving around us this morning, just touching your heart, bringing something to mind, respond to him. And that's where the change will happen, is that moment of encounter. We're hoping to take some time later on to just soak and just pray for you and whatever, see what he's doing. So we also want to lay some things out as part of today. So if you weren't here last night, I'm going to finish up with the end of John 17. You don't have to turn to it, but simply this. Today, Jesus 
wants to reveal more of the Father to me and you. That's the deal, because he's prayed it, all right? So in the room, there'll be an atmosphere where you'll go, ah, wow. Why? Because the Holy Spirit loves to reveal more of the Father. That's the prayer Jesus prayed at the end of John 17, yeah? And um, I want to talk about the condition of our hearts, which is going to sound like, oh, we're going to go right down, you know, trash alley, whatever, but... I, I, I want to say this, I am not naturally an introverted, navel-gazing, you know, what's what's wrong in here? I'm just not that way. I love adventure. I love the amazing journey that God puts us on. But I've realized there are some very painful wilderness times that actually God is so keenly after our hearts first so the adventure becomes as a son and a daughter, not an orphan trying to get it. Does that makes sense. So, if you could bear with me in that, I, I just I love everything going on, but I just have realised he wants my heart first. Uh, one of our amazing privileges over the years was to um, get to know John and Carolina. Well, some of you know them, have heard them many times, and maybe got caught up in that move that heaven broke loose in the nineties, and we got to know them, and and um, they had a huge impact upon us, and, and probably rescued us at our worst time. And, um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that the outpouring of the Spirit became known as the Father's blessing. Yeah. Why? Not because it was just bless you. No, the Father himself almost kind of leaned out of heaven in the outpouring of the Spirit to whomsoever would and said, I want to bring you home to myself. I want to pour my love upon your heart. And millions probably received some revelation about him in those days. And I remember John saying this, and it made a huge impact on me. He said, Carol and I, every year, and this is John and Carol, who I regarded as probably, we felt they were the most healed, loved on, outrageously whole people we've ever met, seriously. We knew them in private, they were just the same. But he said, every year, Carol and I make it a, a discipline that we go away for a week, and we stop off for a week, for the sake of a constant, if you like, checking on our heart's condition. I thought, wow, a week? You guys? Have you got anything left? And he would say, I'd go away thinking Carol needs help. Which <laughs> <laughs> probably most men feel anyway. But, but then <laughs> when he'd get there and he'd find, no, no, John, it's about you. You need help. You know, it's like, but you, isn't, that, isn't that amazing? Because you, the, the problem is this is, which I had in my life, you can be very anointed very cold, wonderfully. But if there's trouble deep down, however cold and anointed, at some point there's going to be a terrible collision in your journey because God wants to get to the heart first. You know that, don't you? And so I want to share around that whole thought about the condition of our hearts, but please hear me. It's so that the Lord can mend what may be a broken, bruised, wounded, whatever. So it's not internal, it's not navel-gazing, it's just saying, Holy Spirit, we're having a check-in today. Yeah? And I commend to you every year for a week, if you can, or whatever, however you do it. But I reckon, you know, my car went in for a service last week, and um, I thought, I'll be, you know, be easy, it's a good little car. And, it's, and um, during the service, the 
the mechanic, I, I know them well there, I don't know much about cars, and he sent me in my, by email while it was a huge long list of this is what really needs doing and this is what's going to cost you. And I kind of stared thinking, oh no, I thought it'd be a quick, but he was diagnosing everything wrong in the car and I checked it in before I left and it's a bit like that with our hearts, isn't it? You think, oh, it's running okay. But sometimes when you stop like this, which you're doing, and I really commend you for this, you feel like, oh, wait a minute. Um, that's really important, isn't it? People are crashing in the body of Christ because they would not stop off and say, how's my heart doing? And the anointing and fruitfulness apparently, ah, it doesn't matter. Car's still running, still driving, got up the hill. They don't realize there's a crash coming because they didn't hear the sound of God saying, will you come to me so I can mend you even more? And it's the anointing that heals what's got broken. So um, I'm just going to show you this, this scripture. It, it, do, you, do you remember in John 7, I, I said I'd jump scriptures, John 7, it's very familiar. But let me just say it to you, whoever is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Out of his, what? Belly. Do you say belly in America? Is that okay? Thank you. A friend sent me a little list this morning. He's an American in England in Bath with us. And I said, I don't understand what they're saying as a joke. He listed five things that I should avoid. <laughs> but I've forgotten what they are. And I, it's like, I feel like I've got, you know, there's sort of minds around and I may go on them. And he told me, I won't tell you, one of them was, it? no, okay, stop, I mustn't go there. I'll tell you later, Dan, all right? So, out of his, listen, out of, out, no, I couldn't in case I got that wrong. It sounded really rude. So, I'm sorry. Don't let this happen, please. I shouldn't have done it, should I? I'm sorry. Did I say it to you? I did, okay. Sue's one of the purest people I've ever met, and I said it to her. Okay, stop. Out of your innermost being, listen, will flow what? Rivers of living water. So your destiny, folks, is to have a torrent, a river of heaven flowing from deep inside that is your norm because that's what Jesus is saying. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Out of your innermost being, being will flow rivers of living water. Now, in, in our, where we live, there's a little, um, there's a, down the hill from where we live, there's a stream. And uh, recently I took two of our grandsons down there and they did what all grandsons did or boys do or girls I don't know what you meant to say they jumped in the stream and they began to clear all the muck out because they were so keen to see the stream flowing why because they wanted to play poo sticks which may not be something you do in America but we do is that you, you do that you do poo sticks okay they wanted to play poo sticks <laughs> I, I feel like I'm losing I'm losing the whole thread of this <laughs> Okay, all right, class, listen. <laughs> Pat, help me. This is good. I'm losing it. This is meant to be a very serious morning. <laughs> okay, the point was they were clearing the stream of all the muck so the stream would flow clean and clear and at full force. Listen to me. 
So the Holy Spirit's delight is to identify what's in the way of that stream flowing inside of you. Because your destiny is to constantly have the river of heaven flowing through your heart. And in the middle of that river is the Father's affection and love for you. You're born to drink that kind of river, that stream. In the middle of it is the Father's affection for you. His delight, his looking at you and saying, this, this is the son I love. That's the sound he wants. This is the daughter I love. And so when it gets clogged up and clumped and kind of rubbish, it's like it's time to stop and get it clear again because your destiny is to have the river flowing clearly inside. And Jesus didn't seem very interested in people's um, performance or achievements or fruitfulness. Jesus always seemed keenly interested. How's your heart? How's your heart? He says this, he says, these people honor me with their lips, the external. This is really, really makes me tremble a bit, but their hearts are far from me. What's he saying? My, my longing is oneness in an intimate, close way. I'm the father with you and you with him. That's my, that's why I've come is to bring that oneness. But. I'm so sad that they're doing all the external, but their hearts have drifted far away. And that just, he just wanted the condition of the heart. So, so just to kind of try and give you a bit of a background to that. Um, hmm. So the first 25 years of my life in, in terms of my walk with Jesus uh, and in leadership, we're very blessed in many, many ways. We've, we've had an amazing run, haven't we? And, and that included, we had just, thank God, a lovely marriage, five kids. We were in church leadership. We saw God moving amazingly in those 25 years with the church growing that Dan came back to rescue, which is an incredible another story. But that church, we had an amazing run. And there was an anointing, and I knew we were called. I knew God had called us. But honestly, deep down inside my heart, in what I call the core narrative, there was ongoing trouble and struggle. You know, it's not that I was putting on a performance, Jesus, but it, I, I was living in a grace and anointing, but internally there was, a, there was an awful struggle about rejection, or fear, or insecurities, or... Um, yeah, all sorts of stuff went on. We've got to say it, haven't we? That's what was going on inside, was fears and rejection and, um, yeah, just a total insecurity that every now and then would come up to the surface. And the problem was it also affected all my relationships, because it does, doesn't it? That stuff in what I call the core narrative is where Jesus most wants to rescue us, because something's broken in there. And so I went 25 years like that. And the more things grew, and the more fruitful things were, the worse the struggle became. And it was really painful, because this was, you know, kind of graced and wonderful, and, uh, and yet in here was this deep, deep down that nobody really knew about, maybe Sue, because the trouble out there is always the trouble in here. I don't like that phrase. 
but I've discovered it to be true. And so after 25 years in 2002, we went through a terrible storm, if you like, and it came so fast and so full that we were um, out of all ministry in one day. <laughs> and we'd been kind of like pretty full on, uh, both in, in our city and in other situations, and had the privilege of going to countries and stuff. And it came to an end in one day. And it was one day, I don't mean that dramatically. And I don't know how old we were then, anyways. It was so shocking. It was such a, um, a terrible blow. I don't know whether you've ever been through a storm or a wilderness. I think most people get it at some point. I'm not prophesying it, but it was so horrible, so um, shattering. It actually, I didn't know who I was when there was a silence. I, I didn't know who I was because everything about my life had been all that I was doing. I'd never stopped to check out, do I know who I am separate to everything I've been involved with. Now, I don't recommend that, <laughs> but I want to say this to you. Every wilderness is a God opportunity for a fresh encounter with his love for you, for who you are. Not nice, not easy, but I, he's so amazing as a father. He wouldn't have you engrossed with too much that stops you actually deepening who you really are to him. Does that make sense? And so I went through a pretty difficult months and months and months and months and months with a wrestle about, I don't have any plan, I'd get up in the morning, I don't have depression usually or lowness, I just felt so utterly lost. And in that time a number of things happened I want to highlight because it became, it became a real battle for my heart because everything within me wanted to withdraw, shut down, uh, I was angry, really angry at some people. I felt horribly betrayed. And uh, and yet I also knew, oh my goodness, you know, I've got to forgive. But I don't want to forgive. But I've got to forgive, but I do not want to forgive because this is outrageous. Does the whole world know how outrageous this is? <laughs> do you ever get that feeling like, this is different to anybody else's. This is the worst ever. So other people need to know about it because this is particularly bad. And, and I, I, I can't say I did well, guys. I just said it was a storm and it was a wilderness, but it was a God-desired one because looking back on it, hmm, he was after my heart because he loves me. But everything within me had lived, if you like, to some degree drawing who I was from what I did because I didn't know how else to live, because I'd never had a father, so I didn't know what it would be like to be fathered, so I just kept going. But when the red lights go on the dashboard of your car, you must stop and say, well, yikes. Now what happened in those months, and I want to just highlight it, I did have an encounter with his love that I'd never had before, and I couldn't understand it because I thought, but God, I have nothing left to kind of show you. You know, we can all do a great message on unconditional love, can't we? Yeah, good. I don't think I had a clue what that meant. 
I don't want to give messages. I want to be the message so that whatever I say comes out of what I've been, not what I know. Do we? So I kind of, it was, it was just rubbish time. It was what, uh, I didn't know where I was going. I felt so rejected. And of course it dug into the very rejection that had been in my core narrative. Now it was wholesale, like you're out. Now please, I'm not blaming anybody. Do you understand in my story? I'm telling you what God was doing, even though I wanted to murder some people, but I don't think you're allowed to. I can't find one scripture yet. <laughs> But there's still a chance. No, no. <laughs> but 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 I realised, and I want to just just quickly. I realised that the scripture came to my mind, which is so obvious. Unless, but when you're in the middle of it, Proverbs four says this. Listen, above all else, above, above all. How much above all else? Well, well does that mean even above my desire for justice? Yes. Guard your heart. Why? It's the wellspring. Here we are again. There's a river that's meant to flow inside. It's the river of the Holy Spirit that gives you life. Guard it because it's the wellspring of your life. And when do you most need to guard it is when you are most in temptation to react, respond, quit, I'm out. And by the way, folks, I'm... <laughs> You know, to have your heart healed, you're far less likely to quit the journey because there's another source you're living from than whether things go well or not. And so, it, uh, again, I, this is in perspective, this is in, what do you call it, hindsight. Okay, I wasn't doing great. I was so angry. Have you ever been really angry? Have you? Are we allowed to be angry? I don't know about that. We're not allowed to murder, but you're allowed to be angry. Okay. No, no, yeah, okay, <laughs> you're right. But, but do, do you understand? And, and here's what I'm trying to point to was in the middle of all that, all this stuff floated up that had been in that core narrative because now there was, if you like, room for it to do so. Now, again, I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying it happened. And I thought, I've lost everything. What hope is there for my life? I've lost everything we did, everything that brought me joy, satisfaction in that terms. And yet this encounter with his love was so significant because I kept saying, God, don't love me now. I've got nothing left to show. Which tells you about my heart, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing when God loves you and there's nothing in the bag left? What do you think? Would that be an anchor you could live from? Because it would never depend again on you having something to show. I pray that'll happen for us without my wilderness. You just somehow will get so loved on that we think, I'm happy to go, I'm happy to stay, I'm happy to serve, I'm happy to do nothing. I'm happy because somehow there's a different love come in my heart. And I'm anchored now in a way I never was before. So I went through that period. And in the middle of that period of, of immense wrestle, and I said, anger and above all else, guard you. I felt like I was battling for my life. Would I have a future or would I quit and get out? Has anybody here ever been tempted to quit and get out? Put your hand up if you have, because I need some comfort. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so seriously, because, you know, this is, this is lovely, but there's some battle for our hearts. But I want to say to you today, it's only the Father is looking to rescue what's broken, so it'll never give way when he stewards riches into your hands. Wow. 
because he wants sons and daughters who will steward, and I was the orphan for 25 years that was holding. Do you, do you understand? There's such a difference when you have an orphan, you're, you're holding on to things because that's what you are drinking in to keep you going. But when he breaks it off you and you kind of loose from it, even though I felt awful, now I realize he, he loved me too much to let that be the source I was living from. And so being free of living from that as my source means I'm a son or a daughter that can steward whatever, but I'm happy when I'm not having to steward something. How many of you would like that kind of freedom? Wouldn't you? Isn't that a son and a daughter? He's like, yes, sure, Father, I'll go, but I love you. That you being rooted and established in love. Oh, my goodness, I, I don't know whether I was may have power. How, how far does this stuff go? May have power to grasp how wide and all that stuff you think. That sounds like an ocean of the Father's love that we're meant to be kind of swimming in and available to go whenever he wants us to. And by the way, he is going to want us to. I'm not implying we all sit around on chairs and suck our thumbs. I'm not talking about that, okay? But I'm talking about the very deep root down of the core narrative being so healed that we don't trip up and have a terrible storm again, right? And so that, that, are we getting, am I okay? I'm trust. Yeah. Okay, so I, I need reassurance, see? No, no. Okay. Um, so, so, so that period of 2002, you see, and the problem is this, I was thinking about this morning, I hurt a lot of people because I was hurting so much. I so regret it. They were dear friends. I hurt people, not deliberately, but my inner world was not whole enough, not loved up enough. And so I hurt people around me who were close to me, especially in leadership. How many of you know most leadership struggles are through unhealedness, not actually disagreements about doctrine? I think. Well, think about it. I think a lot of leadership stuff... Actually, a lot of stuff in the body of Christ is about being unhealed because when you're all fathered, it's much easier to get on with each other and love each other, isn't it? So when the father's out of the house, the kids scrap. Please hear me. There's something about what Mike was saying that's rooted in what he wants to do amongst his people at this time. God is done with division, strife, conflict. He wants such fathering to come from heaven. Uh, trust me that he'll have a beautiful family that the world is craving to see. Not more crap flowing around because we haven't got healed enough. Sorry, that was a rant. But you understand. I know it's true because I've experienced both. I've experienced the deep insecurity, the rejection fears that make me react in deep ways towards those I love most because I, I'm fearful and I've also experienced being so loved. I kind of want to say, give me a hug, come on. And if I've, if I've messed up, forgive me, would you? I, I don't need to be right. Do I? Do I need to be right? Why do, okay, that's another whole subject, stop. I believe reconciliation is a Jew very powerfully in this day if we'll let ourselves be healed so we're not looking for a rightness that they have to put right with you because you need the rightness and da-di-da-di-da, yeah? That's another whole subject. I've said again, reconciliations are powerfully going to happen amongst his people for those who want them. And we've experienced it, honestly, and that's partly through Dan we did. I don't know where I'm going, but we'll stay with it.
Okay, so the core narrative in that period all came to the surface. And God was saying to me, Paul, protect your heart, guard it, because this is the battle for your life now. If you'll say yes to me, I'll take you through. If you resist through anger and bitterness, you will lose the joy of what I really want for you in this. And um, I, I, I don't know about you, you, you look like so sanctified, I, it makes me nervous, but I... <laughs> Show me, Lord. <laughs> but, but listen, I went through a battle over even forgiveness, and I've taught on forgiveness. And not all forgiveness comes in a quick, jumpy, overnight job, does it? That's the battle. God, Paul, you've got to forgive people you want to take to the court and show up how terribly, in my view, they treated me. And the, and, and the difficulty for all of us guys in our journeys, and, and if I, I hope this is okay, we all go through some pretty big blows to our heart, don't we? And, and I guess that's what I'm trying to, you know, if I get cut up by a car on the road, I, and I, if I spend the next 24 hours getting bitter and twisted, I'm a sad bunny. It's just a guy cut me up. Or someone doesn't reply to an email and I think they should have done, and I spend the whole day, uh, it's a sad bunny. But when some blow happens to your heart that goes deep inside, It's altogether a different matter, especially in the kingdom where we give our hearts to trust in remarkable ways. If you're serious about the kingdom, you give your heart, don't you? You kind of go 110%. And if it goes wrong, it's way more painful than, 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 than if you like, the world even suffers. May I say that? Because we give our hearts, don't we? And so as we give our hearts along the way, there are horrible blows that can come to your heart. And, and, and as believers, we've got to be allowed to acknowledge it before we move to forgiveness. And sometimes I think there's a sort of almost superficial, yeah, of course I've forgiven them, da 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 And we, we never went to the bottom of what it did to us so that we could do true forgiveness because Matthew 18 talks about forgive from your heart heart which is very different than a mouth forgiveness from the head and so I went through a period where oh goodness it was a wreck I forgive them I forgive them I forgive them I forgive them I get up the next morning guess what I'm shaving and I'm replaying the whole thing again I forgive them I forgive them I forgive them Phew, next morning up it comes again and I began to think I'm not sure I want to does this work Honestly, I think, I think it, maybe you should be doing this, but it took me about a year to get through the desire to let go completely and forgive properly from my heart. I'm sorry if that, you know, maybe you're better at it, but I, I just, it would just come up again and I'd see the face of some. Some people didn't even want to see in a room. You ever had that? Christians are great at doing the dance, aren't they? You understand? They come through the door, so you immediately find your way to another part of the room with other people, and you somehow manage to engage with all those people all the time, but your eyes on the person you don't want to meet. It's, it's kind, kind, kind of called the, you know, the, ooh, they're in the room, they're in the room. 
It's amazing what goes... No, okay, stop. So, so I think the whole issue of forgiveness that you're so familiar with, but I want to say this today as clear as I can. Sometimes we've had people who do reject us, people who abandon us, honestly. This is the worst, people who betray you when you thought you were giving them the very best. It so hurts. And you kind of run over and say, it's fine, I'm okay, it's the kingdom, but it isn't okay. And that's what I'm talking about today. Jesus wants to go to where it most hurts, where there's still an ouch in this room today. And sometimes the ouch kind of goes quite far back, doesn't it? Very early abandonment issues were what was in my core narrative. That's what was troubling me, was I felt deeply not wanted very early on, and it had traveled through my core narrative. And so it kept getting stirred up and stirred up until God said, I want to deal with this, Paul, at the very root of what's troubling you so much. And I'm not saying you, you all need this. I'm just trying to tell you what happened to me because I think it helps us kind of understand how much he wants to get to the broken bits so that we're not troubled in relationships when we get close to people and they do things that kind of... Uh, abandonment, let's say them, rejection, here they are, betrayal, loss. And there's been quite a lot of loss in the last few years in the body of Christ that's really painful. Really painful. Mm. And there's been quite a lot of betrayal that's really painful. I hope I'm expressing this enough to, to say we... And I, I think Sue's been very good on this. You, you, if you can't properly find out what's it done to me, what was I robbed of? And where did it leave my heart? Those big questions. What was I robbed of? And where did it leave my heart? And you, ouch. You know, we've had, soon I've had so many people who kind of daren't go to that point because they're not sure they're allowed to swear. But if you like, they need to swear or whatever it is that gets them to say, that's how it's really left my heart. And you know, oh, mess and swear. No, I'd rather someone got their heart out, to be honest, and said it as it really, really is. This, this has broken me inside and I don't know what I can trust again. Okay, we got there. Or I hate them. <gasps> you can't say that. You can say whatever you need to say if it gets it out of your heart, otherwise it remains in the core narrative and continues to damage things. I don't want to labor this. This is okay. I just want to make it really clear that I, I, I just felt when before we left, it was weird. People prophesied over us that God is going to want to heal some hearts very powerfully out there in a moment of time. And I kept going, yikes, I don't know how he's going to do that. But wouldn't it be amazing the room if he mends today with his anointing and his love some areas you, you, you maybe didn't even quite aware of. But he just says, will you let me go there now? And I will heal amazingly what you can never do in yourself. And so forgiveness, you know, let's read a scripture because it might focus it. Go to Luke with me, can you? 
Has anybody here been really misunderstood before and it's very painful when you're misunderstood in a big way? Yeah? Let's go to Luke, I said. Um, okay, I'm going to watch the times so we get coffee. So take heart. I'm an addict like some of you here. And I want to confess something to you as well this morning, if I may confess. We were passing to get here this morning, and um, I saw a sign. I noticed the sign, and my heart leapt within me. Who said that? Penny, how do you know about that? Does Mike take you there for a date? <laughs> Sorry, Mike. And we saw the Starbucks sign and my heart let with him. This is the first main day in America. And I said to Feed, is it? She said, of course, she's so generous. Let's stop off to Starbucks. Then I thought, well, what will you say when you see me with a Starbucks as though I'm criticizing the Christian coffee here? I didn't know what to do. So anyways. That's just a quick confession. I don't know why. It's obviously something going on. Some misuse. <laughs> uh, let, let me just... Luke, what did I say? Luke? Luke. Did I say anywhere in Luke? Okay. Who knows where I'm going in Luke? <laughs> huh? You've got to guess. Luke 6. Well done, Mike. You're very close. Luke 6. See, let, let me tell you this funny story for a minute while you're finding Luke 6. So some years back, um, uh, we, in our, second, our last house, uh, we had a big trailer because our son is in a wheelchair and we got, um, we got an electric, uh, some big electric four-wheel four thing for him to go on. And I got a trailer. I'm not very mechanical. Some of you here, it scares me. But I got this big trailer and we, we towed it on the back of the car and got his electric four-by-four thing up on the back of the trailer. And this will tell you how bright I am. So... Uh, at one point, I un had to unhook the trailer and leave it, and the car drove off somewhere else, and, and I wanted to get the 4x4 four four off. The little, it's quite a big, heavy thing. So I leant over, put the ramp down the back of the trailer, leant over, and then sort of um, just drove it backwards like this over, and to my surprise, the trailer flipped down on my toe with all the weight of this thing. Now, here's what happened. This is what be amaze you. And I was excruciating pain. And I could already feel the warmth of a certain liquid flowing in my foot. And so as I was there screeching, I really was like, ah! And this thing was like this. A neighbor passed by the other side and they said, are you all right, Paul? And guess what I said? Yes. I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> so British. So British. <laughs> And I'm in absolute agony. He could have helped me lift it up. But I said, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. You know, self-sufficient again. Oh, I just, like, so he walked on. And I went into Sue and I cried. <laughs> help me. But the moral of the tale being, it's worth, <laughs> sorry. It's, uh, I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine, thanks. No, you're not. You're bleeding. And so in the things of our heart, pretending we're fine means we don't get the vulnerability of help that brings the healing we most need because we don't open up what's deep inside because it's so painful. 
And I want to encourage you guys, just because of my own mess along the way, it, the more vulnerable and open and, you know, unprotected we, we become, unprotected, you know, we don't protect ourselves. The more we become like that, the more this wonderful, restoring love of the Papa comes deep inside us and says, let me go there today, I will heal you. And the river will flow better through. This is what Jesus says in Luke um, Six. This is very familiar, but it's the kingdom's ways that are so powerful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. I don't run over it, because these are absolute, sorry, verse 37. 27, 37, yeah. These are blocked, I don't know whether I'm going to have time today, but actually judgments were one of the biggest rescue points of the whole of my heart. I don't know if I'll have time to get there, but can you just note it? Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. I want to suggest that although we use that for money, it's the wrong usage. Please hear me, there's nothing wrong with saying about money. But, but can I suggest to you it's all about if you do these things, a good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for the measure you use will be measured to you. Now, now just to picture this, condemn, judge, forgive, or don't, don't condemn, don't judge, forgive. I believe they're powerful keys to rescue your heart. And what God says isn't about money. It's about if you do these things, if you give these things up, if you like, in the ouchness of your heart, the Lord will pour back such a good measure back into the lap of your journey that you'll be astonished at just what he restores, just because you're prepared to let go and forgive and not condemn and not judge. It's very powerful. It works. It's a kingdom way that when you give up what you want justice over, something happens. And so our journey in Bath, I've gone on around the houses, but our journey in Bath, um, oh, the last, the last 20, 20 years has just been extraordinary, not because we did well, but somehow the Lord gave us a way where we let him into our hearts and we were able to forgive the worst of pains so broke me and we were able to repent of judging those I did judge and somehow the Lord has poured back some mysterious measure into our laps that to this day makes me a bit teary eyed because I don't understand how he would do that do you understand and so the ouch the, the, the pain that may be there we're here today to say could you let go today If you give, if you say, I'm going to go there, I'm going to say, ouch. And oh, I know about forgiveness. Some people say, oh, I've forgiven them. And as they say, I forgive them, I, can, I, I don't want to judge myself, but I can think, no, you haven't. There's as much pain in your voice as if you didn't say it. It's just you're trying to do the right thing because nobody's allowed you to say, ouch, first. So it's from your heart. And, and, and the... the can I just take five more minutes? Is that all right? Yes. You haven't got a choice, that's the trouble. <laughs> People say that, don't they? On the microphone, saying, as though you're going to stop, Paul. No, would you stop, please? <laughs> we have funny ways, don't we? 
I don't want her to go. Can I, can I just tell the end of the story of that um, to illustrate it? So the forgive. I'm going to pray in a minute. The grace of God will fall upon us to let go where you may be still feeling. No, it's too painful. You can't just say forgive, Paul. I'm not. I'm giving you permission, though, not to wallow in the pain, not to stay in anger, not to nurse it and rehearse it and nurse it. Not that, not to become a victim. God stopped me from becoming a victim by saying, you can come out of this and I'll pour back a good measure back into your lap. But you've got to trust me if you let go. I'll look after it and then I'll heal you. And so what happened in my view, <laughs> this thing of judgments, I'll be real quick on it, but... Um, so a new leadership took over in the church where we'd sort of um, been asked to step down from. And um, it was so painful to watch them in the leadership we'd been in. Right? Again, bear in mind, it was my stuff. Okay, please hear me. But it was so painful because I was hurting. I secretly thought, stuff them. They're no good. They shouldn't be there. Why? Because pain makes you judge back. Do you hear me? We get hurt, but then now my response from the hurt is now my sin because Jesus says, don't judge. And I did judge and I thought they're rubbish. Don't please repeat this to those who know. I'll tell you. And a prophet came into town and she's quite sharp. How many know some prophets? They're kind of a bit scary, aren't they, in case they see what you don't want them to see. <laughs> I like the nice prophecy. You're going to go to the nations! Anyway. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> so I was the leader when she came to town of this particular group. And I got the group together upstairs. Do you remember this? And she came in on her horse into the room. And... Um, and I'd asked her to please prophesy over everybody around and she was fab and she, and she started going around the other side and I thought, yeah, really good. Oh, great, yeah. Oh, it's amazing, yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Oh, my, so good, so good. And then she came to me and you think, oh, give it to me, come on, you know. <laughs> and she, <laughs> and then she says, Paul, you're, you, I can see stubbornness in you and, and it's a good thing when it's for the Lord. It's not good when it's against, it's in the way of the Lord and something like that. And I kind of went, how dare you? I kind of like, I'm leading this thing. And this is in front of everybody who's saying I'm stubborn. I'm not stubborn. And then she prophesied wonderfully about nations, whatever. I got the other bit. But it was a stubborn. And do you know what? I went off chuntering about the fact she'd said stubborn. That's all I can remember about the prophecy was she said stubborn. I'm not stubborn. Am I stubborn? Honey, am I stubborn? You, and you know, she, <laughs> she graciously... <laughs> But this is what happened. And then we took her out for lunch. With this in the back of my mind. Thinking, I think we need to sort this out. Are you really a prophet or are you just, you know. <laughs> and then she says this to me. She said, Paul, and she knew the situation. I think you've judged those leaders in the church. And I stopped and I had two reactions. One was, how dare you? And the other was, you're right. I have. And I paid for the blooming lunch too. <laughs> That's what you get for paying for the lunch. But she said, "Listen, listen, listen." I tried because it's a really big deal. And she said, "Paul, not only have you judged them, you need to put it right. You need to do it with them, in front of them." Wow. 
And then she finished up and saying, I'm not any of that, you need to do it, not expecting anything reciprocal. And at that point I went, oh, for goodness sake. But I knew the Lord was in it. He was chasing something in my heart, where in my pain I'd made a judgment back, how you rubbish. I'd made the judgment and the Lord was coming through a prophet and saying, Paul, you need to put it right. And you need to do it in front of them. That was a really humble, because I didn't think they should be there. And you mustn't expect anything reciprocal, which is just what I wanted. I'll do a deal of saying some things, but you need to say sorry for what you did. You know, that kind of, do you understand? That kind of like, let's do a deal. I can give you some, but I want some back because it'll help nurse where I feel most hurt. And the Lord was saying you not to do that. Do you know what happened? I just quick. So do you understand the power of judgments? I wish I could go there. It's very powerful because often the worst of pain means we then sin back by judging them. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you'd be like, I cannot. You know what? Someone else. You know what? I'd never be like that. I'm now sat in God's seat, who is the righteous judge of all. And so a month later, <laughs> I'll finish with this because it's time. A month later, we eventually got to see the leaders. And bear in mind, these were the guys I felt I most wanted to murder before. And we went, you don't know this, Dan, do you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> No, but you sided with them then. <laughs> oh dear. No, 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 no. This is well before. Honestly, there's a story. But I, I, at some point, I want to actually tell you how much Dan's done for us in that city. But that's not for now. So we went there. And listen, this is the miracle. If you know my little heart and all my previous fear of rejection, which does lock us up. And I really prayed and we'd fasted a bit and whatever. I said, God, I need a miracle because I can't even do what you want me to do. But please help me. I'm willing to. And you, if you're really nervous, you know, but the thing is, you kind of spend a half hour before the meeting praying in tongues furiously. You haven't prayed in tongues for a long time. You're kind of like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, this is it, you know. And so, again, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? So this will suddenly work the miracle I need. No, he's fine doing it without all that throff up, you know. But anyways... And we get in the room, um, but suddenly we get up in the room, and by the grace of God, this is the miracle, I was able to look at them and say, guys, I've come to tell you, I've judged you. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, I was. Please forgive me. And here's the funny thing, only one of them reciprocated in any warm way, but it didn't affect me an inch because the Lord had allowed a grace to come where just to do it release my heart and I remember Sue and I walked out into town I just felt this weird peace job done and of course it led to a huge reconciliation that's another whole story why because the good measure gets poured back into your journey your lap of your journey just because you were willing to be humble and turn the key and say it's time to come out of the pain that's gone on in my heart. It's time to turn the keys. It's time to recognize where I have judged as well as I need to forgive because if I do both big keys, I forgive and I repent of judging, 
the Lord moves very powerfully because he's a father who really cares about your heart. Okay, you've been really patient. Man, I want Sue to share in a minute. So can we just pray? Is that all right? You look like you really need coffee now. But I want to do this. Please, could you say sensitive just for a moment to the Holy Spirit? Because I, I, I got this impression he really is touching some areas. He wants somehow you to feel you could, you could give up today. And I'm going to pray for you and just ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, thanks for treasuring our hearts in this room. Thanks for just your deep, deep affection to give us the best. Father, I pray for every one of us again. Just we're in this atmosphere of your amazing desire to heal what got broken. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that wherever you want to go today to mend some broken areas, to heal some big ouches, to allow us to escape from some shut down areas where we've just got tired of trying to cope with pain. And sort of shut down a bit. I ask you, Holy Spirit, come and rescue us today. And we'll do our best. Lord, I pray for grace for those who might find it a struggle to really go where they need to go. I pray for grace. Grace to fall upon their path. And give them the strength to be willing to turn the keys. For the sake of restoring from heaven that's better even than what there was. Good measure, pressed down. So I commit everybody to you that you'll help us see where you're working. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm looking around because I don't know where the coffee is, but I'm sure you'll know what to do. Could we, could we do 15 minutes? I really want Sue to have a chance to share afterwards. Could we do 15 minute break? Is that all right? Okay, bless you.
Folks, should we um, should we gather in if you've had your coffee, your tea, chocolate biscuit? That was very effective. <laughs> that got me far, didn't it? <laughs> See them all running back. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's like a teacher who's really ineffective. <laughs> Nobody pays a scrap of attention. <laughs> In fact, I could talk on like this with you, and they're still. <laughs> hey, I tell you what. Why don't we? Why don't we worship? That makes everybody come back. And then Sue's going to cruise in on the back of it. Why haven't you, sir? Sorry, I put that on you. Hey, we're okay, but... Yeah? Okay. Can you? That was the call. I tried talking through the microphone. She just whistles and you will rush back. So everybody not in the room is having more coffee than they should be having. Thing is, if we start now and then they walk in, they get that embarrassment, don't they? John looks like the kind of guy who could do it. I'm wondering whether I did.
Say again. Oh, are you more or less behaved than the UK? <laughs> I think, um, oh, that's really awkward. <laughs> um, um, see my hand shaking. <laughs> I think you're amazing. Behaved. I, I, yeah, I, I think you're a lot of fun. You're good fun, but behaved, that's tricky. Like, if I was a teacher, I'd say just disruptive or... No, you're great. All right, we're calling to... Are you ready? Are you ready? Talk to me if you're ready. Otherwise, I'll put Mel on the microphone. I know. I've told people. Did you? They just want the chocolate and the coffee. That's the trouble. Daniel's gone off doing a project. <laughs> he's, he's done this. So. <laughs> so, how many of you know what poo sticks are? Who knows what poo sticks Oh, how embarrassing. You do now. You asked. Okay, so poo stick. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm not going to tell you. It's just, it's just way too awkward. <laughs> okay, let me tell you what poo sticks are because it's a very complicated, profound game. You need a bridge and you need some water going under the bridge and you collect your stick. Okay? Because Winnie, Winnie the Pooh did this. Thank you so much. Okay, not to do with poo. With an H. I'm sorry, I should have made this clear. Yeah, you need a bridge. It's not poo as you think poo is. It's poo with an H on the end. And you get your stick, okay, and you stand one side of the bridge where the current's going underneath you. And then you hold your stick on one, two, three. And, of course, with grandchildren, they let go of it way before you say three because they just want to win whatever. And then you let the stick go. Then you rush the other side of the bridge. And then you shout as your stick comes underneath and trust it leads the race that is incredibly exciting, okay? There is a stream outside, should you want to go outside in a minute and push around a bit, you're welcome to do that, but... <laughs> There's a bridge, okay, there we go, but it's quite a steep fall. Okay, that's poo sticks. Does anybody else want to ask questions about vocabulary? Have I stepped on any other landmines? Okay, 
If you're really good, I may tell you what was on the list, but I'm a little bit awkward still. Okay. All right. Let's just come to you. Um, I want to introduce you in this way. Like, like, shh. Because actually... Yeah, oh, oh, oh. Actually, um, uh, Sue is an unknown, absolute hero of persevering faith. That, that if I told you the story of how she's walked through years of, of some particularly, really <coughs> grueling challenges and come out in the way she's done, I, I want to honour her because not because you do that with your wife, but because I want to because the way she's walked, only heaven knows how she's done that and the secret way she's done that and the beautiful way she's done that. So would you just kind of draw the riches out of this beautiful woman? Thank you. Oh, wow. Um, on the plane coming over yesterday morning, I, I was reading a book and... Um, it said this. I kept, just this stood out to me. Um, the the author was asking questions, and he he said, "Which would you rather be? Someone who speaks of the love of God, or someone who can embrace another and minister the love of God?" I thought, "Oh, yes, that's me. I want to minister the love of God. I can embrace people. I can give you a." a hug and pass on the love of God that way and maybe I don't have to speak this weekend <laughs> but uh, my dear husband said yeah no 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 <laughs> so here I am rather far out of my comfort zone but I just want to talk to you about um, some of the things I've learned on the way some of it might be seem already what Paul said but it'll be in a different a different expression because I'm carrying something in my heart of the love of God that um, I've learnt through my mothering, through my failures as a mum, but his love for me. Um, as Paul said this morning, we've got five beautiful children. They're all adults now. We've got six beautiful seven seven beautiful grandchildren too and um, some of um, you know my mothering I wish like many of us we would, could go back and start all over again because of what we've learned but um, and so I'm only talking not out of being a good mum but out of the failures and the things that I've had to put right with my own children. And I just loved Dan's story yesterday of going up to his two boys at two years old while they were in their beds and just putting something right with them. I thought that's very powerful. And it is powerful. It's humbling as a parent to be able to say, I'm sorry, this is where I went wrong. But um, so that's where I'm coming from. Um, what else can I tell you just as I begin? <laughs> yeah, I'll just talk to you about... Our, our eldest, Johnny, is uh, 43 now. We, and then um, we've got another son, Alistair, 
Johnny's married with three children. Alistair's married with three young children. And then we have a son of three, uh, number three, who is now 38, I think. You forget to <laughs> reach their 30s. He's got Down syndrome. He lives in Bath. He lives in his own flat with a bit of support. And he's a lovely young man who loves the Lord. His name's Peter. And um, then we've got a daughter of number four, our daughter Fiona. We didn't want to have any more. Well, at least I decided after Peter was born that I was then 33. So I thought, so, you know, we understood that um, as the mother gets older, there's a greater risk of another child with Down syndrome having had one. So we... Um, we settled that would that would be our family, and uh, anyway, I was sitting at a in a Bible week, um, listening to Carol Jones. I remember, do you know Carol Jones, yeah. Carrie's wife? Yes, you would remember her. And she was talking about how um, I think I can't remember which. I think it was Bethan, her okay. daughter, who had she had. So Carol got, had um, German measles while she was carrying one of her children, I think it was her daughter, Beth, and I can't remember anyway. Um, and it was in the first three months of trimester, which is a significant time. And, but, and all, every medical encouragement was to have an, an abortion, but she and Kerry decided, no, we're going to have this child, and they had a beautiful, healthy daughter. And it's just like almost the audible voice of God said, and I want to give you another healthy child so wow you know that had been totally off our screen and um, I went and shared it with Dan's mum actually and she prayed with me and talked to Paul and of course a year just over a year later our daughter was born beautiful daughter we were thrilled and so that was it as far as our family was concerned <laughs> However, um, 10 years later, come on, it was 10 years later, we were both <laughs> 46, oh my goodness, um, and uh, oh, I'll tell you the funny thing, the two, there are two funny, two funny stories about this. It was around just after Christmas and we went to, we, after Christmas we used to go, take our whole family and go and play, go to one, another family that we were quite close to, being close to growing up. And um, they liked to play party games and one of the games was in the manner of the word. Does anybody know that game? You have to, you go into two teams and one team selects one of their um, people to act out a word you so in a particular action so it was doing the ironing and so the word that was given to me was pregnant so I had to act out doing the, the ironing pregnantly and the other team had to guess what the ad, the adverb was pregnantly see so so we did that and and they guessed it and also at that time 
one Sunday, Paul was preaching in the church, and um, this so it must have been within that week. Um, <laughs> Paul was preaching, and some poor dad, his child started to cry, was in the meeting and started to cry. So this dad got up and carried his child to the creche. And Paul just stopped and said, I'm so glad those days are over. <laughs> so, well, no, I had no intention of telling you this. So, <laughs> guess what? A few days, I can't remember how many days later, I thought, oh, I really don't feel well. Um, <laughs> I think I'm pregnant. And for me, by number five, I knew how to find out. I just put my nose in the curry jar. And if I felt sick by the smell of curry or the smell of coffee, I knew I was pregnant. So... I just whispered to Paul, I think I might be pregnant. He laughs and says, of course not. I said, go to the doctor and get some medicine. <laughs> oh. Well, by then, the, the, the GP, the doctor, he said, you have to go and do it by your own test. They didn't seem to do it any longer. So anyway, we, we found, I discovered I was pregnant at 46. And, um, oh, I felt so ashamed. Such a funny thing, isn't it? Now I can laugh about it. And I was so afraid of the nurse coming because we had we didn't I didn't have to go to a clinic. I can't remember what it was, but I knew that there was a nurse coming to visit me at home, and I was so worried that she'd come in uniform, and I was really really anxious that anybody would find out. And you know the thought of having to push a push chair and stand at the school gate and talk to all these young mums. But anyway, we we the only I'll tell you one more thing. The only thing that encouraged me was our prime minister's wife, Cherie Blair. Do you remember at the time she got pregnant, and she was forty-five? And I thought, oh, she's much more in the public eye than I am. That's a relief. That's okay. So. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. Oh, yes. Okay, so so at 20 weeks, I don't know what, how it is here, but at 20 weeks uh, in the pre into the pregnancy, we have a, a scan. That's how it was then. It, this is 26 years ago. And um, so I, Paul was away, and I went along quite confidently for the scan, and... Um, a friend of mine happened to be the, a radiologist there at the time, and um, and I was lying on the couch, and the radiographer. This wasn't my friend, but the radiographer. Oh yes, my friend couldn't. She said, "I can't come. I can't do you because I know you." But anyway, the radiographer had rushed off in, um, to find somebody else to come and check the the, the scan, and I was lying there, and I was thinking. I do you know nothing, nothing crossed my mind that there might be anything to worry about. But um, then the, um, a consultant came in and she looked at the scan and she said, this fetus has got spina bifida. We can tell by the shape of the brain and other things. So they took me off into a room, talked about having an abortion and all that kind of thing. And so anyway... 
we went through, Paul came back, I think that evening, didn't you? We talked it all through, went to my GP, who was a Christian, who talked me through. Even, you know, if you know the Lord, possibility, it's still okay to have an abortion. So we went through all all that kind of thing, and we went to see the, the um, obstetrician, and she was really harsh, because we'd said, no, we're not going to have an abortion, we want to go through with this pregnancy. And she went through all the things that could go wrong, even with the, the birth and so on. And it was a difficult time because we knew we were coming against something and we were not, um, not yes, it was just not going the way they would have chosen. So anyway, um, Simeon was born. Um, um, in hospital, the birth was planned and so on. And he's now 26, he's, li- he's in a wheelchair, he's living on his own in his own flat, and he's, he started a job, his first full-time job two weeks ago. He, he has some health challenges, which he's working through, but um, it is, yes, it is extraordinary really that he's got to where he is now. And, so that's been that's been my journey, um, and bless him. So I, anyway, we finished at five, didn't we? yeah, that was it. That was a. It would be a miracle now. <laughs> Anyway, so I just want to talk to you about God. We talk about God as a father, but this God has, God is outside of gender. He's a spirit, but, um, and we don't, there is a, I know that there's a group of people that have wanted to call God mother. Nowhere in the scriptures we we hear about that. We call him mother, but he does liken himself to a mother. As a mother comforts her child, so I would com- well I comfort you. And we have to remember that there is that you know God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. So there is that part of God's heart that is very nurturing, very loving, in a different way from a father, father's love, compassionate, tender. And... Um, And even Jesus said, as he entered Jerusalem for the last time, as he was sitting, um, looking over the city, he said, I have, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you as a hen. I, I gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. I wonder what he felt, what he felt 
he must have felt deeply sorrow, <laughs> sorrow inside, because that was his heart, to gather your children under his wings. You know, um, in the 1950s, there was um, a British uh, child psychologist, psychoanalyst, who um, came up with a theory of attachment, which you probably know, have heard, because it has revolutionized childcare and parenting since then. And, you know, we're familiar with the term of the need for a baby, an infant, to bond with his mother, her mother, and how that process happens. And this, that was his theory. And it just occurred to me recently that um, that was in the heart of God all along. What is in the natural and what God intended for a mother to how to attach and bond with her child had always been in the heart of God. And many, many parents would have, ignored, would have known that. You know that as a parent, it's instinctive inside you. But just come, have a little a different uh, think about it. So if that's in the natural, how God intended it to be, supposing that it's in the heart of God that at the point of our salvation coming to him, that is his longing. I believe John, the gospel writer, knew that very well. In the, his, the first chapter of John, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, just supposing at that point of salvation, you coming, I don't know what it was like for you. Maybe this was your experience. You felt the arms of God wide open and him saying, I welcome you. Come into my arms. How does a mother begin that bonding? The baby is planted, placed in her arms often, straight after birth. She looks into his eyes. The baby can't focus, but there's that, that mother looking into the baby's eyes. The baby feels the warmth of her body, the smell of her skin, the touch, and the, her voice. Just imagine, that's how God wants to receive each person who says, yes, I, want, I believe in you. Wouldn't that transform the way we see him and that uh, somehow our understanding of who he is he's wanting he's lifting up your chin look at my eyes look into my eyes see my face see the smile on my face why has it taken so long for psychologists to come up with a theory 
like that. And it is so, so needed today. But if we can allow him to heal our hearts in that way <coughs> and recognize. Sometimes when I do a mother heart talk, I show a clip um, by, this is an American psychologist he, in the um, 1970s. You may have come across this experiment. It's called the still face experiment. And um, it's by a guy called Edward, Ed, Edward Tronick. And um, he does this, he gets his mother with his child. You can look it up on YouTube. It's about three or four minutes long. And um, the mother play, sits the, the one -year -old, her one-year-old daughter in a high chair. And she's right up close, kneels so that her eyes are level with her, with her child. And she talks to the child and plays with the child and... The child responds, and so the mother says something, and the baby says, you know, talks, makes a sound back. And it's like there's a conversation going on. It's a beautiful little exchange. And then he gets the mother to turn away for a few seconds and turn back with a completely still face. Still, she looks at the child, but she's no expression on her face, no words. And, if, and it's an interesting little experiment because the baby starts to talk and smile, but she doesn't get a response from the mother. And he only allows this for a short time, but you see the distress quickly coming in the baby's face. And the baby tries to do all the things that she did before. She points, tries to get the mother to look in that direction. She tries to get the mother to talk but the mother keeps a still face. And then, you know, he's quick to let the mother then revert back to the engaging and give the baby a cuddle. But, you know, isn't that sometimes how we see God? Not because of that's who he is, but because that has been our experience in life, as perhaps our mothers or our, our caregivers, parents, Anybody who has we've connected with, who we've um, formed attachments with in our very early years, and where things have not been very um, healthy in that relationship because they've been, you know, not every, we're all as parents of not perfect parents, not had perfect parents, but. And so often we have this impression of God relating to our own experience of our parents. So I just want to go over some things that, um, what a good mother, if, I, if we look at how what a good mother is, should be, what, how, what a good mother is, maybe that will help us. I think that's helped me to understand how God, our Father, our, wants to relate to us. We talked about eye contact, that, um, that looking into the eyes. We talked about affectionate touch and the mother gently talking to the child. You know, um, I could find scriptures for, for all these things. 
for all the, you know, um, but let me just turn to one in Zephaniah. You don't have to look at it. Let me just read it out to you. This is God your Father, and he's saying this to you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And it's that gentle voice of the Father quietening us with his love, bringing us to peace. That's what comfort is. When you need comfort, do you imagine God coming like that and embracing you? Quietening you. Pouring his love into your heart and soothing you with his voice gently. And a good mother provides safety for her infant child. No baby is born feeling safe. It has to be um, learnt and experienced, doesn't it, by the consistent love of a mother, responsive and sensitive to the baby's needs. Mother provides a sense of belonging. It's important. We need we need to feel um, we belong. We belong to someone and somewhere. I remember when our grandson um, was, um, I can't remember, about two or three years old, and he'd, started, he'd talk about my mummy, my bed, my bedroom, and he was getting a sense of this is, belongs to me, this is where I belong, my home. The father from whom his whole family derives his name. That's where you belong. That's where I belong. In this wonderful, belong to the father and in this wonderful family. And he puts us in families, doesn't he? Um, sorry. And another important um, thing that the mother does, or parent, both parents, is provide basic trust. No baby is born trusting either. We have to learn to trust. And basic trust is not that you trust everybody or anybody but it's that you have that inner sense of who I am is okay. It's okay to be me. And if I make mistakes, that's still okay. I can bounce back. Paul was talking about being vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable. In fact, being vulnerable 
is a sign that you you have basic trust and it's, it grows that grows from good parenting good mothering consistent mothering the mother always being there responding to the baby's needs do you know one of the things that we used to talk about as parents was giving our children quality time but and we did that that was good we perhaps saturday mornings would be take one of the children out or take them all out and give them quality time as their time however when a little child needs mum or dad it's now and that's so important and i just that's one of my biggest regrets that i wasn't quick to respond to their need immediately and we think well they just have to learn but a young child can't always learn their emotions become take over and they become um they're all consuming and what the issue of that moment is especially with very young children so why am i saying that um yeah that's just what something that i've realized that that's one of the things that we've had to put right because a good mother builds basic trust for her child by being there for him and responding to every need and because of that the child learns to trust from those experiences <coughs> and also the other thing about um learning that from con being a consistent parent is that you have hope for the future you know um hope isn't something that is just about the future it comes from what your experience in the past if you haven't had consistent um good parenting it's hard to have hope for the future because your experiences have not been there in, in the past one of my um other regrets is that um i think i as a busy mum and we had you know a part of being part of the church leadership and we were out a lot for meetings in the evenings and there was i never had to think i never had time to, to myself to think what shall i do there was always always something else to do and um be part because of that i think i was always meeting the physical needs of all our kids but i was not always very sensitive to their emotional needs and each one of them is different you know paul talked about the heart our hearts and each of our children have um different sensitivities and different needs emotionally and i wish i'd been quicker to nourish nurture and feed the differences in each 
one of them and recognize what they individually each needed. Do you understand? The Lord watches over you. He knows what your needs are at any particular time. Another way he brings comfort. You know, if you imagine a, a young child um, who becomes very distressed about something, for instance, and the whole, um, all of them, is taken over by that emotion, the temper tantrums of the two-year-old, for instance. And they cannot bring themselves to recognize that that is separate from who they are. And so that as part of a mother's job is to sit the child on her lap, soothe the child as I described, but also to say, it's okay to feel that anger. It's okay to feel distressed. It's okay to feel hurt by that event that happened, whatever it is. And that brings that child to peace. It contains the emotion. And then the mother says, this is what we're going to do. What should we do? How can we resolve this situation? And that is what brings comfort. And that is what is so... Um, that is what our father is like and how he wants to. It's okay. He validates what we're going through. It's okay to feel that, but there is a solution. Let's work it out together. And I just want to finish up with um, one of the things that just hit me very powerfully when I was reading and looking at um, a particular aspect of God's character. I had to write an essay and I chose, I chose, I, well, I just find it extraordinary that right back in Moses' day, after God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and he had that experience of God and then a few months later, there at Mount Sinai, and Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. And God says, tomorrow you come up the mountain, and I will show you my glory. You know the story. And so Moses goes up the mountain, and then God passes by. But this is what struck me so profoundly. This is what the Lord says. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. What's that first word that he uses to describe himself? Don't you think that's profound? Compassionate. But you know what? I believe Moses said to himself, yes, I know. You see, compassion is not just a, a feeling, an emotion um, that someone feels. It leads to something. And 
back at that burning bush. Let me just turn to it because I just want to illustrate what compassion is. Um, God says, when he, he calls Moses, he says, um, uh, sorry, I've just got to find it. Um, uh, here we are. I have indeed seen the misery. I've seen the misery. So we've seen it of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying. crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned three things seen, heard, concerned but wait for it I'm concerned about their suffering so I have come down okay so he's come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of it. That, for me, is the clearest description of the word compassion that I've come across. To bring them to a land, um, a spacious land, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it's not just the seeing, it's not just the hearing, it's not just the concern, it's the action. And that is what your Father in Heaven is like and His feelings towards you. Who's cried out to Him this weekend? He's heard your cry. He knows each one of you individually. And of course, Paul picks up this very aspect of God's nature, doesn't he, in the New Testament. So it's right there, almost at the beginning of Scripture, that God describes himself in that way. Compassionate and gracious God. And then Paul says... Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. And Paul, Paul had learned that through his experiences. If you carry on and read that chapter, two Corinthians, two one chapter one of two Corinthians. Verse 3 onwards. So that's what I want to leave you with. That aspect of God's nature that I believe he wants you to fully, really understand. His compassion for you. Deep compassion. And that's his heart to bring us into that spacious place. So God bless you.
such a beautiful face. Do you want me to get out of the way? Because it's really about her. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. So, um... You guys have been so patient and listening to everything. So, um, and uh, the Holy Spirit is just brooding over us in this place to just win our hearts right now. And so, I'm going to suggest we do this just to finish up before lunch. We won't any more talking, but I think what Sue's expressed of that aspect of God that. <clears throat> Is a mystery, really, isn't it? I don't get it, you know, like male, female, da, 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 and all that. But all I know is there's a mystery about his very nature that I absolutely love. And um, I'm going to suggest we do this, and Fee doesn't realise it, bless her. We take ten minutes before lunch, whatever. Ten minutes, can we do that? And we just soak in his presence here, and she's going to play. And I don't want you to fall asleep if you can help it. But if you do, just pretend it was a, you know, a trance or something. But I do want to ask you to this, because um, we've covered a lot of ground this morning, and I hope you understand it's about being healed, not searching and rummaging. But I feel this, I'll say it, I feel some folks here, you may need to forgive today, or begin forgiving, because there were some ouches in the room. Or you may need to repent of judging, and that's a kind of very specific intentional, God, I recognize it, and I want to do that, because I don't want judgments to keep um, making me reap trouble after trouble after trouble. So all that stuff we've covered, I don't want to go to the game, but it's just to say, could we respond to him as we soak? And you could just either just soak and welcome the Holy Spirit, I'll pour water out on thirsty ground. Or you might want to say, Lord, I want to do a bit of business here today because my heart's got a bit, the stream is a bit junked up and I'd like to get it cleared again. I've been carrying some ouches and I want to deal with them. And that may mean talking to someone else. That's fine if you've got a trusted friend or someone here. Just saying, you know what, I want to get rid of this ouch. It may just mean letting God's comfort that Sue's been just beautifully sharing soak into your heart. Could we do that for 10 minutes, quarter of an hour? invite the Holy Spirit here you can sit back or you what do you want to do and um, let's let his presence and we're glad to pray for any of you today maybe later on anybody you could just do a bit of prayer as well we're glad to do that all right can we do that you okay everybody let's ask him again shall we father we thank you we're in your presence here <coughs> and we thank you there's some amazing agendas in heaven that were to have in this room. And as we take time to soak in your presence, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll keep, keep winning our hearts with heaven's love. Keep unblocking the rivers that flow inside us and help us to discover that there's a big smile on your face when you look at us and not a disapproval. Oh, please wipe away wrong views of you as we soak. We welcome you, Holy Spirit.
has um, just keeps coming to my mind. Um, I don't want to do it for the sake of it, but I want to go back to the issue of forgiveness. Um, R.T. Kendall says there's probably 80% of people in most roomfuls need to forgive someone. I think, oh, that's a very high percentage. <laughs> we all look so cool. But it's probably true, isn't it, that there's usually a whole bunch of us that have got someone in our mind that when they come to mind, there's, there's still the ouch there. And I don't want to press on and on. I just want to just finish with this and saying, <clears throat> there's three questions I ask myself usually. Is there anyone I really do need to forgive in my journey? Either way back or now? Is there? And if I do, I don't want to put it on the pending tray and say, well, not now, not today, another day. Because the pending file then gets bigger and bigger and it's like a logjam. So I have to question and say, hey, you don't need to put your hand up. Is, is there really anybody you do need to forgive to help unblock the river of God in your heart? And if there is, could you start today and could you do it out loud? Not to me, not to anybody here, but somewhere safe where you can just say, look, you know, I want to say it to you, Richard or James or Mary or mum or dad, whoever it is, pastor, church. I want to forgive you out loud. And sometimes we do a strange kind of inner, well, I forgive them. But forgiveness is very personal, isn't it? It's almost like I, the biggest forgiveness I ever had to do was my dad. My dad was dead. So, you know, can't talk. No, what I did was I, I kind of imagined he personally was in front of me. So it was very personal. Dad, dad. And I don't rush forgiveness. I just kind of went, dad, you know what? Why weren't you there for me? Where were you? What I was doing, I was in touch, not to make a, I was in touch with the real pain. Where were you, Dad? And now I was in touch, I could say, you know what? You robbed me of feeling fathered. I identified what I got robbed of, what you stole, what, what I didn't get. And then I say, Dad, but Dad, today, I choose to forgive you. And it's kind of like a kind of a, here I go with a gift. I let go and I forgive you, Dad. I forgive you, Dad. I forgive you. And I'll say it a few times and I'm, whew. what am I doing? I'm, I'm really going for my heart for the big gift exchange. And I'll say it, I'm giving you a gift you don't deserve. Not as a kind of, you don't know my, this is the deal. Dad, you don't owe me anything now. That was an amazing change happened in my heart. It took me a few years to get there from the what R.T. Kendall talks about, detached forgiveness. I think he has three levels, I can't remember, you know, but to the very bottom of my heart, there I go. That's the truth, Dad, you abandoned me. You did, but I'm forgiving you. And I'm trusting in forgiving you. I get to have a relationship with the best that I could ever have because I'm letting go of what you owe me so I can have him come and father me. Second question I always ask is, do I need to forgive myself for a mess I made that somehow still haunts me because I can't quite forgive myself 
for a decision I made, a choice I made, a relationship I had, whatever it is, that somehow God I know forgives me, but I can't forgive myself for making such a muck of something. And again, well, how do you do that? Well, I just say it, you know, Paul, I forgive you for that decision you made. I, Paul, I forgive you. Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? But I think it's worth doing because sometimes we won't forgive ourselves and we keep haunting ourselves with the shame of a decision we made that, does, that was pretty rubbish. And the third thing is, do we need to forgive God? Now stay with me, don't get angsty. I know we don't really, but sometimes that, Lord, where were you for crying out loud? Where were you? Are you allowed to ask that question? It's okay, isn't it? Where were you, Lord? Why weren't you there? Lord, I know really I don't need to forgive you. I just wanted to say the ouch with you because I've met so many believers who deep down want to say, well, where was he in that abuse, in that premature death, in whatever it was? Where, where were you, Lord? Can I express it and then can I let go? But Lord, I, I let go now of the pain of wondering where you were. So those three things have helped me always. Anybody? Myself or God himself. That we kind of deal with it today and get it unblocked. Is that okay? Yippee. All right. You guys, we traveled a long way this morning. Thanks for kind of going there. And, and um, we just pray blessing on your journey right now, where you're at and what's going on. And breathe and say it's going to be okay because he's just so kind to us, as Sue's expressed. And it's lunchtime, and I don't know what's happening. I have no understanding whatsoever, but somebody does. And I see. Oh, look at that. You, that was simple. Thank you for rescuing me. <laughs> so, bless you guys. Should we, should we just say thanks for the lunch? Um, uh, Penny, would you say thank you for the lunch? Yes, thank you, Lord. We just enjoy lunch so much and we look forward to it. And we thank you, thank you for lunch today, Lord. We're all going to enjoy it and have a wonderful time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the hands that prepared it. We're so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Patty, so much. Oh, yeah.